Good morning, everybody. Doing okay today? Yes? Good? All right. Just real quick, I didn't do this first hour, but it's really important for today. On the count of three, you just need to shout out Broncos. Who are they playing? Oh, yeah. What's their name? The Panthers, right? All right. All right. So you either choose a horse or a cat, okay? One, two, three. Ooh, lots of Broncos, lots of Broncos. Okay, has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to find out where you were on that. Uh, I'm a Bengals fan, so once again, way to go in the playoffs, Bengals. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Browns, yeah, you, well, you know. We will pray for you. If you're married to a Steelers fan, it's painful, which I am, and it's not painful to be married to my wife. Don't misunderstand me. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady, but, you know, she's got, like, like history of actually winning and beating us again in the playoffs, and it's just sad. All right, well, that had nothing to do with anything. I really don't even know why I went there, but <clears throat> we did. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, there are uh, two stories that we're going to look at today. They're in Luke chapter 18. As we continue walking through Luke, um, we're going to end with um, the, the story of, of the resurrection and things on Easter. Um, so be looking forward to that. Uh, but today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to look at two stories. These two stories have um, very similar components to them. Like each story, um, first of all, is told by Jesus, so that's something they have in common. Second, they have two main characters. Each story has two main characters. Both stories talk about prayer, and both stories talk about justice. Now, you know how when you get those pictures that have like two things that are similar, but they're different? You know, right now all of you are totally looking at the picture trying to figure out what the differences are, aren't you? Yeah, um, and that's cool. It's, this is like that. These stories are, are similar in their, their components, but there are some unique differences. But Jesus ties them together, and we kind of want to see how he does that today. Um, so we're going to do, uh, looking at, again, Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. And um, this story is typically called the persistent widow. And it really can be summarized, the theme of it can be summarized like this. When you don't get what you deserve, okay? When you don't get what you deserve, it's, it's, like, it's a cry for justice, all right? So, chapter 18 of Luke, verse 1. <clears throat> one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she was wearing me out with her constant requests. Again, two main characters in the story, the judge who was unjust and uh, powerful, and the widow who has really suffered an injustice. <clears throat> Judges are supposed to be impartial, right? I mean, that's kind of why they get those positions, hopefully. Um, and Jesus points out there are two reasons that, that he's giving that a judge might be just. One of them is that the judge fears God. He has a healthy respect for God, and he understands that someday, or she, he or she stand, understands they're going to stand before God, and be accountable for the justice that they deliver or not. 
So that can be a really good reason to be a just judge. He also says that they, the judge can care about people, care about the law being rightfully distributed to everyone, that everyone has the same opportunity and the same rights and protections under the law. Um, and so that's another possible reason why a judge might be just, their respect for the law and how it applies to people. Jesus says this, this judge has neither of those characteristics, neither of them. Now, what's interesting is to the Jewish mind, as soon as they heard a widow, their mind would have gone to all of the protections that God gave widows and orphans and the poor and the aliens who were in their land. Lots of things for them. So the reality is this woman shouldn't even have to be in front of a judge pleading her case. But she has to do it. And not only has she suffered the unfortunate circumstance of her husband dying, she now has the unfortunate circumstance of being in front of a judge who really does not give a rip at all. Very unjust. So she uses the only weapon that she has. Persistence. She joins Ruth and Tamar, women who took action on their own behalf before her. And she pleads her cause and her case again and again and again. Since the judge won't do what's right in her case, she does what's right and won't get off his case. All right? So she basically wears the guy out. In fact, when he says, she's wearing me out, that could also be translated, she's giving me a black eye. This woman is not to be messed with. She is persistent. She's tenacious. And... Uh, Jesus says, you know what, when you're seeking justice, that's the right attitude. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, I want people to be tenacious, to be persistent when they're looking for justice. It's living by faith, praying with faith, and not giving up. There was a lady named Mary who lived in Uganda for over 50 years on the same little plot of land. It's where she was born. It's where she grew up. It's where uh, the house became hers. When, when her husband died, though, there was a problem because the next-door neighbor was a person of great influence. He was a man who was kind of seen as a traditional healer in the village. He was a man of stature, a man of wealth and power. And he decided that when she died, he was going to take her over her land. Well, her grandson and his family moved in with her. And that actually agitated this neighbor. And he began to encroach on her land, taking little parts of it, using it for his own. Influencing his, or using his influence and his power. She didn't know what to do. She had no power. She had no influence. And so she did the only thing she could think to do. She walked outside of her one-room house. She knelt on her knees in the dirt, and she prayed, God, I need you to intervene. I need justice, Lord. One of the leaders of the local area heard about the situation, and he had been trained by International Justice Mission in the law that was already on the books. You see, this woman had protection under the law. It specifically said, Widows would keep their land and pass it on to their descendants, if they had any. And that there was no one who could 
change that. But this man had a lot of influence. And so the, the, uh, the case kind of went to trial. And the reality is the people in the village did not side with the widow for fear. They were on the side of the, the unjust neighbor, the man with the influence, because they didn't want to get on his bad side. And so for hours, the case was argued. And the good news is, the neighbor, under the justice of the law, had to say, okay. And he signed in front of everyone there, he signed a, a paper that said, this belongs, this property belongs to this woman, and I will do absolutely nothing to try to take it away from her or her descendants. And this is what Mary said after this experience. She said, God brought me a rescuer. I realized there are people who care, and I became optimistic. I am so full of joy and happiness, and I can never tell you how grateful I am to stay in my home. Now I know that not only am I safe, but my grandson and his family will have a home even after I'm gone. It's a great ending. Now, maybe it's, there's something in your life that you're like Mary or the, the widow that Jesus is talking about. There's something unjust, something unfair. So Jesus says, don't give up. Pray about it. Keep bringing it before God. And the circumstances may change, but one thing is certain, our hearts will change as God works through those circumstances. So plead on your behalf for justice. And plead on behalf of others for justice. Now, it's interesting. We need to understand a lot of times we take Bible stories out of context, don't we? And so we take this story and we say, well, that means if I really want that new car, I should just keep bringing it up to God and be persistent, you know, and keep just saying like the widow did. She just kept going back and back and back. And I'm going to wear God out. You know, I'm going to say, God, I need this. I want this. Now, it may be that God wants you to do that, but that's not what this story is about. This story is about not justice according to what we buy at the store called Justice, or any other store that we like to go to, you know, the Apple store for me, or, you know, to go to get a car or clothes, whatever your thing is that you like. This is pleading for justice on behalf of yourself or on behalf of someone else and following God's leading in that. See, justice is when things are correct, when they're right. And when something is not just, the, the goal is not to call the Avengers of the Justice League to come in and make things better. The idea is that, that God and God's people and the law God has established would be the advocates. And I think that we need, to, we need to, and we are, to be honest, we are, the people of God should be right in the middle of turning things for justice in this world. It's one of the things God has asked us to do. Just a, a really small example of this is, again, God cares about people in, in difficult situations and in poverty, and, and the people of God are supposed to help with that. So commonly, uh, we will be involved in a service project that's called Help Build Hope, and we'll build the walls um, of a house in cooperation with and uh, collaboration with Habitat for Humanity and a, a mission called Crossroads Missions. Um, and we did that last year. Remember, we built the walls of the house out in the parking lot. Very cool. Um, and it's just a neat thing to be involved in bringing something 
active to someone's life, being involved in change that makes a different difference in, in their lives. You know what happens, though, sometimes? Even when good things happen, like someone gets a, a house, you know, from Habitat, and they're involved in it, you know, they have to do sweat equity, and it's all that stuff. You guys don't understand all that, I'm sure. So, but sometimes even when that happens, something happens that's not good, like you probably heard about the, the house in Newark, the Habitat for Humanity house that caught fire. Did you hear about that this past week, I believe it was, right? The house caught on fire, and it, it was totally destroyed. And there was another Habitat house right next to it that also caught fire, and it was destroyed. The second house has your scriptures written on it, or did, had nails that you pounded in it, had the prayers that you offered for the people there. Dave Welsh, our global outreach minister, told me this morning that um, he's been in contact with Habitat and uh, the insurance is involved and we'll see how things go, but it may be that we need to step up again and help out with a situation that just really doesn't seem fair. See, it doesn't matter if something goes wrong, we're still going to keep doing what's right. We're going to keep building, we're going to keep giving, we're going to keep serving, we're going to keep praying, we're going to keep asking God, and we're going to keep following the Holy Spirit's lead because that's what the people of God do. We're persistent because we want to see God's holiness, God's truth, God's justice. We want to see God's kingdom expand and change lives and change homes and change cities and change cultures. And that's what this idea is about, never giving up. When you first became a Christian, or at some point you probably heard the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, which says, never stop praying or pray without ceasing. And you're like, how am I going to do that? I don't understand. Especially if you've got to keep your eyes closed and you're going to drive. You know, how do I do that, Lord? How do we pray without ceasing? How do we pray continuously and never stop? We simply connect to the heart of God. We say, God, there's stuff that's going on. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having a new computer, but, and so, you know, if you make that available, that's great. Uh, but, man, there's, there's some stuff that's not just in this world, and I just want to keep bringing it before you and, and bringing it before you. And if there's something we should do, just let us know. See, God is more powerful, more righteous, more caring, more able to do things than any human judge. And Jesus says, keep asking. Jesus ends the story this way, starting in verse 6. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when I, the Son of Man, return, how many, how many will I find who have faith? Jesus says, are you going to do it or not? Are you going to keep praying? Are you going to keep asking? Are you going to keep following? See, God is just, and God is fair, and God is holy, and God is upright. That is God's character. 
That's his nature. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, he is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. So Jesus says, when I return, everything will be set right. Justice will prevail. Until that time, not so much. So, in that interim time, keep asking, keep praying, keep following, keep living out faithfully. Because God moves. So that's the end of the first story. Now let's move on to the second story. This one is often called the the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And uh, its theme can be very, it's very similar to the first theme, but it it is summarized this way. When you get what you don't deserve. This is a story about God's mercy. So let's pick it up in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This second story is about getting what is undeserved. It's a story of God's mercy. And again, it has two main characters, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee is a respected religious leader. He is, he is the one that people view as upright, as justified, as, as righteous. And the tax collector is everything else, even a traitor. And the Pharisee begins his prayer with uh, the wording of what's called a praise psalm. That simply means that the psalm begins with giving thanks to God, and then it lists reasons to thank God or blessings that God has done or just Bless, or says thank you for his character. There are some examples. For example, uh, 105, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. And it goes on from there. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will praise you, Lord, for you rescued me. Last week we did some reading from uh, Psalm 136 out loud together. And we did, uh, part of it was this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So that's how, what a, uh, a psalm that starts with, a, with praise is about. It's called a praise psalm. So that's how this guy starts, right? The Pharisee starts with that same kind of wording. I thank you, God, right? But then instead of talking about how great God is, he begins to talk about how great he is. He starts listing these wonderful things about himself, all the things that he does. And five times in two verses, He talks about himself. He he mentions himself and how wonderful he is and how he does all these great things. And you get the idea, this is an out loud prayer, right? (laughs) He's not just praying by himself. He is broadcasting it. Otherwise, how would Luke have known? How would Jesus have known? Well, Jesus would have known. But that's what he's doing. He's telling everyone how great he is. He is the subject of the prayer. 
And I look at that and I think, wow, how could someone be like that? But I'm pretty sure if my prayers were notated, you would look back and you'd say, wow, you talked a lot about yourself and your needs and your desires and other people's desires. I didn't hear you talking much about God and how great God is and how wonderful he is and the blessings that he has given you. I'm just glad we're never like the Pharisee, right? <laughs> A Sunday school teacher once taught this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then when he was done, he prayed this prayer. Lord, we thank you that we have your word in your church and that therefore we are not like the Pharisee. And we think, that's so funny. That Sunday school teacher didn't get it. I'm so glad I'm not like that Sunday school teacher. If you didn't get the irony, you need to go back and hear that again. So. Okay, after the service came up to me, he was like, yeah. And then I started thinking, I'm glad I'm not like the person who thought that the Sunday school teacher was not understanding. And so, yeah, it just goes on forever. It's the heart of pride, right? That certainly we're better than that. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, then we are only fooling ourselves and God's truth is not in us. That's the heart of the Pharisee. And then you go on to verse 9. 1 John 1, 9 says, however, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the heart of a tax collector. He looks down in repentance. He is fully aware that he is a sinner. There's no self-congratulations in his prayer. There's no listing of all the wonderful things he's done spiritually and, and how lucky God is to have him on his team. He has one thought, one prayer. God, have mercy on me because I am a sinful person. In his book, Experiencing God's Forgiveness, Luis Palau shares the following story. A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense not once but twice, and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother replied. I am pleading for mercy. Your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon said. Sir... The woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it, and mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy, and he spared her son's life. See, mercy isn't earned. It's not deserved. It's mercy, and that's why this sinner comes to God and says, Lord, have mercy on me. Psalm 32.5 says, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. In this second story, Jesus says that one man walks away justified. And what does justified mean? It means that it, it upright, correct, held up against a standard and found to be correct against that standard. 
Think of word processing, right? If something is left justified, all of the text lines up on the left side. If it's right justified, it all lines up on the right side, right? That's what justified means. When you're held up against the standard, you are correct, you are proper, you are straight against it. And that's what Jesus says. God's standard is being held up, and one man is walking away justified. Now, everyone would think, of course, that it would be the Pharisee, because of all the things that he did. He was, he was a guy who was moral in the way that he lived and all the stuff that he did. I mean, he even told us, right? He talked about it. And um, so he's got to be the one who is held up, you know, against God's righteous law and found to be correct, not the tax collector. But look how Jesus ends this parable. Verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be lifted up. Jesus says the one who walks away justified, lined up with God, is the tax collector. Commentator Justo Gonzalez writes, God is not, Jesus is not saying that people should not do what the Pharisee does, fasting and tithing, nor that they should become collaborators with the powerful and the ungodly as the tax collectors were. He is saying that... When the Pharisee uses his piety and religious practices to consider himself better than the tax collector, he will not be justified. And that even a tax collector who acknowledges his sin and shortcomings will be justified. The reversal is that the one who trusts in their own piety, purity, and obedience is farther away from God than the one who simply brings misery, weakness, and dependence. End quote. Don't misunderstand. The tax collector is not justified for his sin, but for the recognition of his sin and the recognition that he has to call to God for mercy. He's not justified because of what he has done. He is justified because of what God has done. Just like us. And Jesus says something that he said in Luke chapter 14. The people who are proud will be brought low, but the people who are humble will be lifted up by God. See, when God's mercy is granted, it changes everything. Receiving God's mercy means Peter, one of the closest friends of Jesus, who denied him publicly, becomes justified. And he is a monumental leader in the early church. Receiving God's mercy means that Paul, who persecuted the church, becomes justified, and he writes almost half of the New Testament. Receiving God's mercy means that John Newton, who was a, a slave ship captain, becomes justified, and he writes the words to amazing grace. Receiving God's mercy means that you and I, sinners, become justified. And God works and does good in us and through us for his glory. And we shine, not because of our goodness, but because of who God is. The royal palace in Tehran, Iran, has one of the most beautiful entrances that you will ever see. It's incredible. When they were building this uh, palace, 
they ordered mirrors from France. And when the mirrors arrived, uh, they opened the crates, and every mirror was broken. And they thought, well, I guess we're going to have to get rid of these and get new mirrors. But one worker said, what if we would take all those broken pieces and we'd put them up anyway just to see what they look like? And they did. And it's incredibly wonderful. And it's a better uh, picture than what the architects had imagined in the beginning. And that's how it is with our lives. We're broken. We know it. Even if we try to hide it. Man, when that crate's open, (laughs) there's a lot of brokenness in there. And while most people would say, well, then we just need to get rid of that. Just ignore them. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that's how they really are. We don't celebrate our brokenness, but what we do is we turn it over to God. And God takes all of those broken pieces and he puts them together in a mosaic that is far more beautiful than the original plan that we had. And it brings glory and honor to him. Aren't you glad our God is a God of mercy? So trust him. The first story is about prayer and justice, about getting what we rightly deserve, about God pouring out what is good on us. The second story is about prayer and justification. It's about getting what we don't deserve, God's mercy. And though we are not good, God pours his goodness into us because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice. And we are found to be justified before him. Would you please stand as we go to God in prayer? God, we recognize that you're holy and that we are not. You're God Almighty. You're the great I am. We come to your throne of grace uh, through Jesus and what he has done for us. We're very aware of our sin and our brokenness, and we cry out for mercy. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Justify us. And when things in our world are unjust, may we consistently come to you in prayer. And may we consistently live out justice in our own lives. May the Holy Spirit be our guide. And may we follow Jesus. God, may you work in us and through us so that others will see you reflected in our brokenness. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to sing a song that reminds us of God's goodness and the fact that Jesus can be uh, the solution, that Jesus is just and he can make us as if we've never sinned, justified before him. So as we sing this song, if you want to talk about your relationship, you want to pray, if you want to give your life to the Lord, um, you can do that. You can just come up front. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll, we'll walk through that process. You can, you can give your life to him. You can confess that you need his mercy. You can 
name Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can be baptized. You can walk out of here completely justified before God. All of us, all of us, whether we are already, because of the mercy and the grace of God, justified in his sight or not, we know there are places that we still need to keep turning over every day. And we know that there are things in our world that need to be different. And so pray as you're singing, Jesus, would you be involved in my life? Would you allow me to be effective for you? Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. Let's give honor and praise to Jesus.